So now hear God's word to us, continuing in this series, and listen for when Jesus declares, I am, out of John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is God's word to us today. Thank you, Kindy, and good morning, everyone. Welcome this morning. I'm glad that you could be with us. We're just going to take a minute and pray together before we look at this statement from Christ, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So please join with me in prayer as we consider what God has for us this morning. Uh, Lord, we're grateful this morning for a new day. We're grateful for a new season, profoundly grateful, actually, that the sun is shining, that new life is all around us, that trees are changing color, that blossoms are everywhere. And all of this is symbolic, Father, uh, though real in itself, symbolic of your relentless commitment to transformation in each of our lives and in our world. We're mindful this morning, Father, of tragedies in Egypt, Christians killed in churches. Uh, we pray for our brothers and sisters suffering all around the world. And pray this morning, Father, that in these moments together, you would lift the veil so that we might see your heart for humanity and the work that you've done and live as people of hope each day in our marriages, in our families, in our world. Thank you. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. So some years ago, uh, we had people come forward in a particular service, and they were writing down uh, manners in which God had uh, uh, spoken to them and something that they'd want to see God do in their lives. And a theme began recurring as I looked at those statements and read them. Uh, two things came up over and over and over again, fear and anxiety. I mean, we gather here, we sing, we're people of hope, and yet here's the reality. Beneath the veil of our worship sometimes, many of us are dealing with issues in our lives, uh, things about which we're afraid, and it's still true today, fear of terror, fear of war, economic concerns, anxiety over housing costs, over homelessness, over the state of our city, over the current political cli uh, climate, more personal concerns and worries about our children, our health, uh, worries about our marriage, if we're married, uh, worries about staying single, if we're single perhaps, fear of failure, fear that our failures will become known, and that when our failures become known, we'll move into public shame and be exiled and, 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 and lonely, we feel like we're hiding things, uh, fear that uh, we'll never overcome our addiction, we're afraid, we're afraid sometimes, we're anxious sometimes, it's a lot of every single person, part of being human at moments is uh, that we're afraid. As there's a very good word this morning that we look at, but the good, the good word that we look at this morning becomes a challenging word when we consider the context. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we'll look at a word here in just a moment, but before we look at the word, look at everything that precedes the words. Jesus, in John 13, is washing the feet of the disciples. Peter then says, no, don't wash my feet. Uh, uh, Jesus rebukes him, actually, washes his feet, and then Jesus says some things to the disciples. He says, listen, uh, one of you will betray me. All of you will fall away from me. And by the way, I'm only with you a little while longer, and then you will seek me, and uh, you won't be able to find me, because where I'm going, you cannot come. 
And then Peter says, Lord, where are you going? And then Jesus says, well, where I'm going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. And then Peter says, in essence, Lord, what do you mean? I'll follow you anywhere to which Jesus says before the rooster crows, you'll deny me three times. All of you will fall away. One of you will betray me. I'm leaving. I'm not telling you when I'm coming back. This is a very hard time. And then here's Jesus' word, don't let your hearts be troubled. Are you kidding me? Like, uh, we read the word, don't let your hearts be troubled, and we put it on mugs and stuff like that. But when you understand the context in which it's spoken, it's really a ridiculous statement. What do you mean, don't let my heart be troubled? You just told me that my whole world is about to implode. (laughs) How can my heart not be troubled? Of course, let's start right there, because uh, the word Jesus offers as an exhortation there stands as much for us today as it did for them then. And the same things are true. Here's Jesus speaking to us this morning. You'll fail me. You won't always understand me. You won't always readily receive what I have to say to you. And you won't even receive what I want to give you freely that will give you life. And by the way, you'll live in a world that doesn't understand you and is hostile toward you in various ways. And you'll be dealing off and on with your own sense of insecurity and with doubt because I won't fix everything instantly. Yes, uh, churches will blow up and there will be genocides and pollution, and political divisions, and economic downturns, and trouble, and cancer, and death, and infidelity, and addiction, don't let your heart be troubled. Okay, thanks for that. Uh, How, right? Some of us uh, presume that the answer resides in some form of disengagement. Okay, I won't let my heart be troubled. I'll shut off the news, and I'll live in my own kind of self-fabricated Disneyland. My soul will be the happiest place on earth where I live in abject denial. No, that's not the answer. So there's another way, and the other way is Jesus' statement doesn't stop there, don't let your heart be troubled. That's all we put on the mug, but the second statement's equally important, which is this, believe in God, believe also in me. Uh, Believe in God and believe in Jesus, this is the key to not allowing our hearts to be troubled. And why is that? Because here's the deal, the one thing in all the universe for which we are granted a level of certainty, the one thing is this, it's that the one who made the universe has made a place for us with him in it, (laughs) a good place. The one who made the universe has made a place for us with him in the universe. And believing that truth and standing in it is the path to overcoming a troubled heart. Though we live in troubled times, though in this world we will have tribulation, our hearts need not be troubled. We can overcome through belief in Christ. Yes, but what does that actually mean, Richard? Believe in me. It's a good question. For many, for centuries, belief has been reduced to a mental assent to a set of propositions about Jesus, but that's not what belief means. Belief is an affirmation by our actions of what Jesus declares to be true about himself. And what does Jesus declare to be true about himself? I'm glad you asked. That's the declaration this morning. Jesus says three things. I'm the way, the truth, the life. All three have definite articles, so there's an exclusivity to his claim. It's bold, uh, and we want to understand it because as we learn to live into that by believing those three declarations, our hearts become transformed from anxiety to peace, from trouble to hope, from sorrow to joy. So three declarations, I'm the way, the truth, the life. We begin with the first declaration, I'm the way. 
Significant for us to understand that what Jesus is saying here is that there's an entire life behind the curtain of our daily living. In other words, we get up in the morning, we eat, we drink, we commute, uh, we listen to the radio, there's cars, there's trees, there's friends, there's enemies, there's news, uh, and it's all there, and we see it, and we taste it, it's real. But Jesus is saying, look, there's more to life than what the eye can see, right? There's something behind the curtain. Jesus hints at it in many uh, in many texts, but never fully explains it. But he says things like, look, I'm, I'm going away to a place you cannot yet come. You'll go there eventually, but you can't come there yet. But you will come later. Jesus talks about heaven. He talks about new kingdom. He talks about eternal life. Uh, he hints at this entire realm of the spirit which exists. And then the, the apostle Paul picks up on the theme in many places, but in Ephesians chapter 3, for example, uh, the apostle Paul says that there are rulers and authorities in heavenly places. In other words, there's rulers that we can't see. There's things that we can't understand. There's a, there's a mystical, invisible realm that isn't later. It's now. It's here. It's just not palpable with our five senses. And, and our movement, when Jesus says, I'm the way, here's what he's saying. I'm moving you into that reality. Not someday when you die, now. <laughs> so that you increasingly are equipped to see with the eyes of faith so that you can live as a person of hope in a hopeless world. And so I want you to see the whole picture even now and I'm moving you there. And to move from here to there, there's a way. <laughs> and Jesus says, I'm the way. So every day we're on this journey and every day there are lessons to be learned and every day we make decisions. You know, we suffer, we, we rejoice, we celebrate, we live with our neighbors, uh, we live in our city, we respond to everything around us. And everything around us, Jesus says, can enable us to grow in our capacity to see this larger reality, everything around us, the good, the bad, the ugly, all of it. Now, in, in Celtic Christianity... There's a phrase that I love, and maybe some of you have heard it. Have you, have, who's heard the phrase thin places in here before? You've heard, anybody here? Not many of you. Get ready. This is really fun. Thin, what, what the Celtic saints meant by thin places is that there are places in the universe where uh, the veil between the eternal reality and the temporal reality in which we live is very thin, and sometimes we're enabled in a moment of grace to see the bigger picture. Does this, does this make sense to you? So there are, there are places of, you know, transcendent beauty that are thin places. And your thin place may be different than my thin place. Uh, one of my thin places is this, is this particular circle of redwood trees down in California where my grandmother created safety, beauty, affirmation, hugs, cinnamon rolls. <laughs> All, so beautiful. And I, I hadn't been there for years, and I was invited to go speak at, at, down in Mount Hermon. And so I went down there, and my grandmother long passed away. This is three or four years ago. I'll never forget, we parked the car. I walk into this redwood circle where I was as like a six-year-old, you know. And I just started weeping. It was so beautiful, the presence of Christ, and kind of this sense of God saying, Richard, I've been with you all along through adoption, through the death of your dad, through your failures, through your doubts, through your anger, through your cynicism. I'm still with you. Thin places. Does this make sense? We all have them. And learning to see with the eyes that perceive that 
is really a calling. That's the way. There are lots of journeys in the Bible, and every journey that you see in the Bible is prototypical of God's manner of teaching us to perceive with the eyes of faith, to see the bigger picture, right? So, for example, when God speaks to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, he says, hey, Abraham, listen, I want you to leave your father and mother and your father's land and go to a place where I will tell you, and there, there will be, you know, blessings will come to you. Now, that's a very, you know, ambiguous statement. Here's the one thing you know with certainty, leave where you are. Oh, thank you. Where am I going? And here's God, not telling. <laughs> Just leave. Uh, uh, how, okay, I'll go. Uh, how, what, how long will it take to get there? You know, to get there. How long? Not telling. <laughs> how will I know when I've arrived? Oh, you'll know. Yeah, but how will you know? You know, it's like fishing. You catch a trout, you know. You'll know. Really? Come on, this is very un-American of you, God. Like, we want a plan. <laughs> we want a Gantt chart. You know, we want to know who's responsible for what. We want a timeline. You know, we want a, a cost-benefit analysis. We want accounting to be done here. Like, we want to know. I'll leave if I know where I'm going. But if I don't know, I'm not leaving. And then God says, oh, yes, you are. <laughs> yeah, you don't have a choice. Because I will so orchestrate the circumstances of your life that you have to go. You'll be cut from the team. Or the, 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 the doctor's report will be positive, not negative. Or uh, it'll suddenly be unemployment and downsizing. Or one of your children will implode somehow. You'll know. You'll go. And along the way, I'll teach you things that you could never learn any other way. Because you'll begin to see with the eyes of faith that I'm with you in the hospital, in surgery, in the unemployment line, in the midst of an imploded marriage, in the midst of your addiction being discovered, I'm with you, thin places. I'm the way. So let's just make some observations about this way. First, uh, your journey is your journey. And so if God has a journey for you so that you perceive with the eyes of faith, you have to take your journey, you can't take my journey. Every, every story in the room is unique, right? Uh, different results for different people. We read this in Hebrews chapter 11, where we know, hey, some, at the end of their story, they're rich, some are poor. Some are in prison, some are free. Some live to be 120. Some die as martyrs at the age of 20. Some, you know, shut the mouths of lions, they perform miracles. Others are in the mouth of the lion when the lion shuts its mouth and they die young. Some have cancer, some are healed from cancer. Some are married for 60 years. Some have marriages that implode after a year and a half. You don't know your way. But here's what God is saying, I know your way, and I'm going with you, and I'll be with you every step of the way, so quit looking around. Do you remember what Jesus said to Peter at the end of Peter's life, John chapter 21? He says, listen, Peter, you know, I walked the way of the cross, you will walk the way of the cross too. You're going to a place that you don't want to go. And then Peter immediately, he looks over at John, he says, what's going to happen to him? And that's so us as humans, right? Like we, we look and we go, man, yeah, I'm willing to suffer as long as he suffers too. And if he gets, you know, 10 cubits of suffering, then I'll, I'll endure 10, but not 11. If I, it's 11 for me, give it 11 to John. Really? Knock it off. Look, that, that way of thinking is, is toxic. It's a pecking order thing, and it's a comparison thing. 
The Apostle Paul says we're fools if we look around comparing. Don't waste a day comparing. You have a journey. And the story that God wants to write through you is a better story than any story that could be written with you having the pen. (laughs) So draw near and follow. David had a journey to the throne. Wasn't easy, but it was a journey. It included uh, being anointed with oil and slaying Goliath, and it included the existing king being threatened by his rise to power, trying to kill him twice. So he's on the run, hiding in caves, hungry, feigning insanity. It included a rise to power. It included great worship. It included sin. It included adultery. It included murder. It included a, you know, a coup by his son, stealing the throne, him being run out of town, and then him, him being ultimately reestablished because of his son's rebellion. Man, what a story. And, you know, in the concluding statement, this is what we learn about David. He's a man after God's own heart. And so imagine David had said this. Yeah, man, I want to be a man after your own heart, God, so I'll take the rise to the throne, and I'll take the throne, and I'll take the power, I'll take the worship, the harp, you know, the killing of Goliath, but all that stuff about failure and adultery and people trying to kill me, thanks, but no. Look, your story is not a buffet line. Your story is your story, but God's the author. God has the pen. And there are things in your story that delight you and things you would never choose go there. He's the way. So your journey is your journey. Journeys require this constant willingness to leave things behind. We've already addressed this, but many of us uh, have a difficulty leaving things behind because we like life as it is. And often the status quo becomes actually the enemy of our own transformation and, our, and therefore our own joy and peace and you know, capacity to live well because we're hanging on to that which is destroying us. Journeys require a willingness to leave. And then ultimately we, we learn this about Christ being the way. Christ is the journey. In other words, when the disciples want to know the way, Jesus doesn't say, listen, I'm going to go and I'm going to wait for you there and cheer you on while you f- go after me. No, 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 no. Here's Jesus. I'm going. I'm going to prepare what will be at the end of the journey, then I'm going to come back and I'm going to walk with you. Listen, every step of the way, I'll be with you. <laughs> in the hospital, in the promotion. When your kids are born, uh, when, when it's an untimely death. When you're rich, when you're poor. I am with you. I'm the way. And he calls himself the way. And then the author of the Hebrews says in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, that Jesus created this way by dying. And the ones who wanted to live well, all through the Bible, they, wanted, they just wanted to be with Jesus. Uh, Moses had kind of this crisis in his leadership a couple of years in. You read about it, Exodus 34. It, it's a longer story than this morning. But God got mad at the nation of Israel, if you don't know the story, and said to Moses, hey, Moses, just stand over here and I'll kill everybody. We'll start over. So it's a bad day for God, you know, and a bad day for Moses. And, and, and uh, then, you know, Moses talks God out of it, which, forget, don't worry about the theology of that. It just happened. It just happened. Moses talks God out of it, and then, uh, and they're get, you know, they're getting ready to continue. And then what Moses says is so poignant in Exodus 34. He says, look, God, I know you want to continue, but I'm saying this to you. If you are not going with us, I don't want to go. Wow. I mean, really? Come on. 
Crisis has been averted. Let's just, Moses, just go. And here's Moses. I'm not going anywhere unless you go too. Because look, the most important thing in life to be where you are. Boom. That's it. I'm not going. You, unless you go, God, I'm not going. Who in the room says that? There's a promotion. Oh, no, God, I'm not taking it unless you, and you're going. Opportunity uh, for upsizing instead of downsizing. No, no, no. Unless you're in it, God, no. Christ the way. His story is always the best. Second, I'm the truth, right? The word truth, it simply means it corresponds with reality. It's a word aletheia in Greek. And really, very important word right now. Because we live in a culture where phrases like this are uh, common now, right? Fake news, alternate facts, alternate reality. So that... Uh, our, our notion that there even exists truth is, you know, increasingly deconstructed to the point where we, we, our default mode is cynicism. And, and we hear stuff, we go, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't think so. No, no. We have a hard time believing, you see. So when someone uh, speaks truly, and Jesus says it often, what they're doing is they're describing reality as it really is. So when Jesus says that he's the truth... There's two things that we'll unpack here. By Jesus saying the truth, he means, look, my values, those are the true values. And what I say about the human condition, that's the, that is the human condition. Those are two very important things. My values are true, and what I say about the human condition is true. Let me look at the, both of these things. When Jesus says my values are true, what he's saying is that, is that what Jesus values is are the things that we should value. Why? Because Christ and us share the same vocation. In other words, we both have the same calling. What's my calling? My calling, Genesis 1, I'm an image bearer of God. I'm called to, like in my daily living, re reflect the values, priorities, character of God, my creator. That's my calling. I've made it, I'm an image bearer, right? So are you. We all are. And how are we doing as image bearers collectively as humanity? C minus, lower, lower, right? No, not C You know, look around, turn the news on. Image bearer, really? ISIS this morning? Killings in a church? Murder in a church in South Carolina? Greed? Slavery? Colonialism? Pollution? Divorce? Infidelity? Addiction? Image bearers? And then along comes Jesus, and he said, when he says, I'm the truth, he's, this is what he means. Watch me, my values, that's your calling. So what does Jesus do to embody this calling of image bearer, all kinds of things. He crosses social divides preemptively as he's hanging out with the Samaritan woman who no one would hang out with for three reasons. Samaritan, strike one. Woman, strike two. Caught in adultery, strike three. And here's Jesus sipping water with her, <laughs> crossing social divides, Jesus' value, preemptively forgiving those who wronged him. On the cross, people hurling insults at him. What does Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's not waiting for their confession. He preemptively forgives. Healing those who are broken, as seen in the woman caught in adultery. Bringing joy to sorrow, as seen in Jesus' first miracle, turning water into wine at a wedding where the wine had run out. Confronting 
political and religious power structures as seen in Jesus, you know, calmly walking into the temple. And I love this. Jesus is, is, you think he has a hot temper when he turns the tables over? No, he doesn't have a hot temper. Read it. It says Jesus walks into the temple. He sees this abomination going on uh, whereby the simplicity of faith in God has been reduced to a commodity and a transaction and a, and, and, and a material thing you can buy and sell. And it says he sat down and made a whip. Don't you love that? Like, it's not like he's just instantly angry. Oh, no, I'm going to take some time here and do a little, you know, crochet or weaving or whatever it is. And then, you know, when, once he's done, he stands up, wham, right? Enough of this. Look, he's mad. Why? Because Jesus confronts power structures that oppress and enslave. He's still doing it. So the fullest and final revelation of God's character is found in Jesus. And by the way, that gives me great hope, friends. Many who are kind of driving by this morning who have, they don't have the time of day for our faith, they have a question. And it was articulated to me once by a woman who, uh, kind of looking for spiritual truth, went to Costco, bought a Bible, and began reading the Bible, getting at Genesis, right? And then... Uh, uh, I heard back from her a few weeks later. This is what she said. Read Genesis, very interesting. Uh, read Exodus, it was good too. Uh, got into Leviticus, super boring. Probably the worst thing I've ever read in my life. Hard to understand. What's the point? Leviticus, you know, Deuteronomy, started making sense again. Numbers, I struggled with some things in numbers, you know. But then I got to Joshua. And God said, go in and kill everybody, men, women, children, cattle, burn it to the ground. She said, I threw the Bible in the, in the trash, I walked away. I don't want to believe in a God who does that. And can I just say to you, if we who gather here faithfully respond to people asking those kind of questions this way, oh, don't even think about that. We're not being very honest. We're not, we're not honoring people's questions. So, so, so though we don't have all the answers, we can say this because this is true. God, the progression of God's character revealed in scriptures is progressive. In other words, God is always accommodating our blind spots, right? Rather than saying, oh, you don't get it. Bam, you're dead. No, God accommodates slavery in the Old Testament, accommodates, you know, oppressive patriarchy. There's things that are said there that don't apply today. And why don't they apply today? Because Hebrews chapter 1 says the fullest and final revelation of God's character is not found in Leviticus, it's found in Jesus. Amen or something like that, right? <laughs> like we've got, this is good news for us because it means that we can stand up to those using the Bible to justify colonialism or slavery or economic degradation or, or, or environmental degradation and say, no, in Jesus' name we know Jesus has shown us the way <laughs> because his values are intended to be the values for all time. That's what it means to be an image bearer. And here's the other thing about Jesus being truth. He not only uh, reveals true values, he reveals the truth of the human condition, like our, like our identity. Let me explain what that means. I'm going to just read for you 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 21 and 22 very briefly so that you can hear something that, if we really allow it to sink in, is stunning to hear. I'll read. For since by a man, and that man would be Adam, since by a man came death... 
By a man, and that would be Christ, came also the resurrection from the dead. Now listen to this, verse 22. For as in Adam all die, so now in Christ, listen, all will be made alive. Oh yeah, yeah, all. Well, not really all. No, be, no, not all. Oh yes, all. So what does that mean? Watch this. It means that uh, all of humanity has a new identity. It's just that not everybody believes it. First John chapter one, excuse me, First John chapter two, verses one and two, says this: If we if we sin, and by the way, in the Greek, it's kind of almost humorous because the way that that phrase is structured is this way: If we sin, and we do, right? If we sin, then we know this. We have an advocate with the Father. And then this is what it says. Our advocate is Jesus, the righteous one, who was the propitiation for our sins. And then this crazy phrase, and not just our sins, we gathered in here, but the sins of the whole world, everybody driving by right now, who wants nothing to do uh, with God. God's not mad at them. God's not mad at you. God's not mad at humanity. God's broken over humanity. God weeps over humanity. God's not angry. All the anger was poured out on the cross. It is what? Finished right? Here's the problem. We don't all believe it. And all of us who do believe it don't believe it consistently. <laughs> I, I'll give you an illustration. In 1989, there was a group of students, they were living in Canada at the Torchbearer School there, where I teach, on an island. And by the way, these students back then, no internet, right? So no cell phones, and hence no news. No news. They come, and they're living with us. We live in Friday Harbor at the time. And this German girl is at our supper table the night that the Berlin Wall comes down. We're watching the news together. She, and she's, we're watching the wall fall down. And she starts weeping at the table. And she doesn't know Tom Brokaw from Vladimir Putin, right? She has no idea who he, who he is. And so she's like, she's, she's watching this. She looks at me, she goes, Richard, is this true? This can't be true. And she's weeping. Is this true? Is this really the wall? Is this a movie? <laughs> What's going on? I have relatives I've never met. And if this wall comes down, I can see them. But is it true? And I was like this, yeah, it's true. I haven't heard anything about it. Well, you've been on an island, you know, isolated. I'm telling you, it's true. This is good news. And I'm telling you this morning, God's not mad at anyone. But to the extent that we refuse to believe it, we continue to live in blindness. One author says it this way. Christ plunged headlong into the human condition, sinless though he was. He assumed fallen flesh like ours at its most corrupted level. He baptized all of humanity into his death and brought it back to life through the power of the Holy Spirit with the Father. And this mystical, this mystical connection that we have means that Christ wove mankind into the Trinitarian life. There is forever a resurrected humanity sitting in the middle of the Godhead. And we sit there in him, fully united to God in heavenly places. Do we believe it? I don't know. Do you? <laughs> because this is what the Bible is teaching. But sometimes I say to you, as your pastor, I think that we think it's too good of a news. And that God must still be mad at someone. 
And that creates an us-them that takes us out of God's story, you see. But to the extent that I refuse to believe it, then though I'm invited to move into the reality of my union, I drift farther and farther away. So that rather than joy, sorrow. Rather than love, hate. Rather than generosity, greed. Rather than, uh, than boldness, fear. And humanity drifts away, not because the work isn't done, but because it's too good to be true, we don't believe it's done. And so how do we move into God's story completely? <laughs> believe in God, believe in me. John 14. In other words, repent. Don't move away from this glorious grand news. Move in. By saying, by faith, thank you, God. Thank you that I'm complete in Christ. Thank you that I'm adopted. Thank you that I'm whole. Thank you that I'm forgiven. Thank you that all things pertaining to life and godliness are in me. Thank you that the dividing wall between Jew and Gentile, uh, slave and free, men and women, is broken down. Thank you that though I don't yet see human trafficking ending, I know where history's headed toward freedom. That I, th though I don't yet see war ended, I know where history's headed. I know. Thank you, God, that I'm in a story of redemption and hope and generosity, that you are transforming the cosmos and that you have a role for me to play. Thank you. That's faith. And uh, we're invited not only to say yes once, but Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 says this, in the same manner in which you received Christ, which was an act of faith, so continue to walk in him. Every day I return. Because if I don't, Hebrews chapter 3, I'll, I'll drift away. I'll drift away. He's the truth. And the truth is, not only are you complete in Christ, but the work is finished. And we have the glad news to tell everyone who drives by, who thinks that life consists of nothing more than upward mobility and, and, and preserving their own you know, piece of the pie. Oh no, there's a much bigger story into which you're invited. He's the truth. And finally, here's Jesus, I'm the life. And this last one's brief because it's really a summary of everything that's gone before. The life we need every day is the life Christ lived. The life you need just to get through your day as a person of hope is the life Christ lived, and the life Christ lived led to the death that Christ died. And the death that Christ died made possible for Christ a life out from the dead, and that's the life you need. <laughs> a supernatural life, the defeated death, and herein is your source of joy and hope and generosity and peace and mercy, and this, friends, is the gospel. Not that you got a ticket to heaven, so when you die, you get to change locations, that's incidental. It's good news, but not the point. No, no, the, the kind of the radically transformative good news is this. Christ alive right now in you <laughs> so that you, being complete in Christ, have at your disposal everything you need to live as a person of hope in this world, no matter the challenge. Therefore, what? Don't let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe in me. Some years ago, um, I was speaking at a, at a family camp, and through the course of the first two days, someone came up to me and began pouring out heart troubles, right? Marriage, children, vocation, decision-making, doubt, 
faith, health, trouble, 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 trouble. Don't let your hearts be troubled. And then uh, when we got to this, and she heard kind of the grand news that she is complete in Christ and that the resurrected Jesus lives in her and is making all things new and this story is happening and it's just up to her to say yes, thank you and begin to believe it. As soon as she heard it, she came to me with tears in her eyes and she says, I've gone to church for 30 years, I've never heard this message. I hear, you know, buck up, work harder, try harder, knock yourself out for Jesus. Listen, I'm telling you, the starting point of the gospel is this, don't do anything other than believe. And then you begin to say yes that all Christ, yes to all Christ is in you, so that Christ, alive, in you, forever, becomes your gospel message. That's the life to which you're invited. Therefore, what? Don't let your heart be troubled. Let's pray. Father, with every eye closed right now, we want to confess to you that our hearts are troubled. We're troubled by Egypt today. We're, we're, we're troubled by personal issues, by family issues, by health issues, by money issues, by political issues. We're troubled. And you come to us with this really challenging word, don't let your heart be troubled. How? How? And we begin here this morning in faith by thanking you. Thank you that in spite of all that we see, we are in Christ. Thank you that in spite of our failures, we're forgiven. Thank you that in spite of war, you are moving us toward peace. Thank you that in spite of terror, you are moving us towards security. Thank you that in, in spite of human trafficking, you are moving all of humanity towards freedom. Thank you that the word that runs from Genesis to Revelation is this, you are making all things new. May we be made new, new in hope, new in strength, new in mercy, new in our capacity to live the life for which we're created as we walk the path you have for us, you the way, the truth, and the life. Thank you. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Uh, we'll receive an offering now this morning and an offering that really is response, right? Uh, because of all that Christ has richly and freely given to us, Jesus says to us, freely receive, freely give. Invest in... Uh, the work that I am doing in the world so that the hope that is found in Christ alone can pour into our city, into our world. And so we give out of gratitude for what God has already given to us. It's an act of faith. It's not always easy, but we give. And if, uh, if giving isn't always easy for you in the room because you want to put more thought into it or for another reason, know that we encourage you actually to give online. And we've actually worked hard in the last little bit to improve the manner in which giving online is accessible to you. If you go to either our website or the app that is on your phone, you can give that way as well. But however you do, this is a response of generosity to the work of God. So as the ushers come, we'll receive the offering and respond. And soon there'll be prayer team members up here. They are already over here. And if you would, uh, honor them by sharing with them some of those things that are troubling your heart or have been troubling your heart so that you can claim in Christ uh, the work that God will do in the midst of your trouble. They're here to pray with you. Father, meet us now as we give. Use these gifts, Father, for your purposes. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.